So if you've heard of Jesus, like raise your hand, right? Good, 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 good. You probably know at least a couple of his like most famous love sayings, right? You've heard of Luke 6.31, I'm guessing, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? You've all heard of that. Those of you sitting at home, you probably heard of that, didn't know it was Jesus, but yeah, it was. Um, there's also a very, very well-known one. Um, it's in Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at that. It's up on your screen right now. It's, it's do unto others. Or excuse me. It's called the great commandment. Um, and it's love your neighbor, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and before I jump in here, I'm going to give you, I think it's called a BOGO, right? Buy one, get one free. Like this is a twofer. Really cool. I was just reading this week on the, this passage here, and I'm not going to preach on it, but, but this writer, F.F. F. Bruce, an incredible theologian on, on the Apostle Paul, he, he says that, um, like, we're not, it's not like we have a heart, and we have a soul, and we have a mind, and we have a strength. He says that we are holistically, right, heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. I mean, that's who we are, and, and he says that that's God's way of expressing the fact that we can be sanctified wholly. Right? Because we're a whole person. We're not, he doesn't touch parts of us, right? He touches us entirely and he heals us entirely. Anyway, that, that's a freebie. Um, so, so my thought is uh, for the message um, this morning. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful idea, right? The, these, these teachings of love, right? I mean, nobody can complain about any of these really worldwide. Love is just one of those things that everybody wants and everybody likes to be called a, a lover, right? That's just a normal thing with our humanity. Um, but what exactly does Jesus mean by the word love? What, what does the Bible mean when it talks about love? Because in English, and you've all known this, right? In English, it's very, very unclear. You can love your mom and you can love pizza, right? Now, if those, the same words have the same definition as your love for mom and your love for pizza, like your mom's going to be really disappointed, Right? And I don't know if the pizza's going to be jealous, but nobody's going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy because there are levels of love. And in the English language, we don't do a very good job of dividing those up. Right? And then even in this case, you're looking up there in Mark 12, the great commandment. Right? It appears that love of God is the same kind of love as the love that you give your really weird neighbor. Right? So like, like how can that be? How can you love your neighbor in the same way you love the Almighty? How, 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 right? So, so the word that Jesus used here, I'm going to take a very, very, very short amount of time here and kind of talk about that word. Um, we have it as love. Um, uh, you'll see on your screen here, there's three different words. Now, if Jesus had been speaking in Hebrew, which he wasn't, right, he would have used the words ha-aheva, aheva, right, love in Hebrew. But, but Jesus didn't normally speak from what we can gather, didn't speak Hebrew. The, the, the place that he came from, they, they spoke what's called Aramaic. It was kind of a cousin language of the Hebrews borrowed from when they were in captivity in Babylon. When they came back, that's kind of what they ended up speaking is what we call Aramaic. And so this was the language that Jesus normally spoke in, um, in the northern part of Israel, and that, that was just the common, more common language of the day. Um, but that's not what we have in our Bibles either. Right? I'm going to further complicate the issue here. The, the people that wrote the New Testament after Jesus is crucified and goes and bees at the right hand of the Father, um, they took very seriously his command to spread the good news, to be witnesses of his love, and, and, and to be peacemakers, right? To pay that cost to go in and, and, and be peacemakers. And that, that was very, very, very costly. 
but they took so seriously this command to go about the, the, the rest of the world, the ends of the earth. But the fact of the matter was that in the ends of the earth, the language and the culture was Greek, right? So the writers of the New Testament, they spoke and wrote in Greek because that was the language, that was the, their audience, right? Once Jesus passes in the whole Mediterranean basin. So the Greek word that we have right here is actually the word agape. Now here's the really, really crazy part about this word agape, right? Again, Greeks got a whole bunch of different words. They got, you know, the, the married love, family love, love of good friends. I mean, pizza, pizza love. Um, and then there's this radical self-emptying, self-serving, um, even for folks who can't return love back, uh, even for folks who, who return your love with hate, right? This is the kind of love that Jesus was talking about and he was teaching about. And, and here's the fascinating part about it, right? The earliest followers of Jesus, right, who, who, who wrote these books, the, the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, they, they had these other words. They, they could have used aspects of these other words. But, the, but, but we find out that they, they had to find a, a new word, literally, because Jesus was introducing them to a whole new level, a whole new aspect of love that they had never really experienced before. And so they, 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 they had to search this, this other culture, Greek, to find this word that really isn't, they couldn't find a good Hebrew or a good Aramaic word. So they found, found agape, right? Agape really worked. And again, they didn't, they didn't go to the ancient dictionaries, right? They looked at Jesus and they looked at his teachings and decided nothing in our experience can explain what he's talking about. Brand new word, agape, is coined. Again, the most prolific New Testament writer, the Apostle Paul, about half, two-thirds of our New Testament, he defined love like this. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death, even to death on a cross. Like he was obedient, faithful, all the way to the very, 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 very end. See, this is what Jesus was talking about, this a whole brand new kind of love. And again, it's a love that they hadn't... It's not that it was absent in the Old Testament, but they just didn't recognize it. And therefore, they didn't practice it. And, and, and again, I, I don't know, maybe it was because their, their, their definition of love, what they had arrived at was, was kind of wrapped up in their legal code. And so it became a very, and I don't think this was the intent, I, I know it wasn't the intent, but it became a very um, heartless, legalistic kind of love. Instead of, instead of a love of the heart, right? It, it, it was a, just a different kind of love. Um, And because their experiences with love had been so wrapped up in that legal code, this whole thing about Jesus, I mean, they just had to find a whole different word, just a whole different word. So in our passage today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We read it just a little bit earlier, verses 26 through 38. What we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast. I know those of you who are in school, like you just had a cold sweat, you know, tingle went down your spine. It's Christmas vacation, Pastor. We don't compare and contrast anything. I'll do the comparing and contrasting, right? You just sit, relax, and enjoy. Uh, but we're going to compare and contrast a birth story of Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth and, and, and their son John the Baptist, um, and we're going to look at uh, Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. We're going to compare these two birth narratives. Um, but, but the key is if we're not careful, 
If we're not careful as we look at these birth narratives, um, it's very easy to arrive at a story about a mother's love for her child, which is in a way, you know, no, it's there, um, but that's really not the, the gist of our passages um, this morning. I, I, I don't want to be flippant about this, but we have Mother's Day, right? And, and I know, like, like my mom's probably watching this, so I'm saying this very eggshells, right? Um, we love our mothers, but this passage really isn't about motherhood. There's a, there's, a, there's a much bigger, bigger picture going on here um, that we're going to kind of step into um, this morning. Because if we don't, we run the risk of really missing the, the, the truly miraculous thing about these, these birth narratives. Um, because it goes much deeper than, than a biological love or, or any of the other kind of loves, right? The love of Jesus, right, is, is greater than a mother's love. I know it's hard to imagine greater than my mom's love. No way. Yeah. It's true, right? Greater than a mother's love, greater than married love, greater than a best friend's forever love, and and certainly better than pizza love. Fairly certain. See, love has something to do very much with with faithfulness. I'm going to use that word a whole lot this morning, faithfulness and love. Those two, they belong together, right? They belong together. They can't be separated. See, our culture, we've conflated um, desire and love, well, we, we, we've made the two words synonymous, better way of saying that, uh, but they're not synonymous, right? Desire, more often than not, typically is about um, simply wanting something. It's kind of the dopamine, right? Thinking about what something could bring you, something in the future could bring you some pleasure. Um, self-serving kind of comes and goes, but true love is always always self-emptying, self-giving, it's always faithful. So while faithfulness of a good mother is a blessing for some of us, um, these birth narratives tell us this morning that our, our belovedness, right, to be loved doesn't, doesn't hinge on our faithfulness or even our mom's faithfulness. It hinges on the, the never-ending faithfulness of God So we're going to jump right into our text today. This is Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The virgin's name was Mary. And it's important that we start off this this old teaching this morning at the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy because something important is happening in this text right, right, right at this point. Right? The miracle of the conception of John the Baptist sets the stage for another miraculous pregnancy story, right? the birth of Jesus. Um, but it's also a dividing line, as we're going to see this morning, kind of a dividing line between what God had been doing for a couple thousand years and, and what he's about to do. He's going to about to do something amazingly different and, and completely different and new. So we find in verses like, for example, 5 through 25 of chapter 1, which immediately precedes our text this morning. You're going to have to go home and read this. The narrative of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it echoes, right? It, 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 it harkens back to, to quite a few of the Old Testament narrative stories, the miraculous stories in the Old Testament of God's, you know, abounding faithfulness and his, his incredible love for a people who were consistently unfaithful to him. Right? For example, Sarah. Right? Sarah's a grandmother. Sarah's a great-grandmother. Right? She's been barren. And suddenly, a miraculous birth narrative. She gives birth to the promise. 
to Isaac. And Hannah, right, in the Old Testament, she goes down to temple and prays so fervently that Eli the priest thinks she's drinking. Lady, go home and drink. <laughs> you, don't, you don't drink at church? Come on. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not drinking. I just, I, I just want a son. And, and Eli recognizes that she's not drunk and she's, she's pure-hearted. And he says, go, go home. <laughs> Lo and behold, she goes home and, and she gets pregnant. And the Nazarite vows, right? Samuel was dedicated as a Nazarite. You could never touch alcohol. Samson, same thing. Gabriel tells Zechariah that John's never to drink wine either. So, so you're seeing these echoes of the past, right? God is faithful even when we're incredibly unfaithful. The, the characters in these narratives have been unfaithful, but God is never unfaithful. He works in these unexpected ways in order to, to demonstrate that he does love us and that he does want to be with us. And so he goes to extraordinary lengths, and he does amazing things, right, to, to catch our attention. In several different ways, Mary becomes part of the old tradition, right, but with a, with a new twist, with a new twist, right? All the stories, well, Zachariah and many of the other stories, they always had an angel delivering the message, right, Gabriel, in these last two stories. Um, the angel says in both stories, do not be afraid, Right? Both stories, a miraculous birth and a special baby, but, but was absolutely crucial. The echoes of the past, it becomes clear that God is, again, doing something radically new and different is happening here. And the narrative of John the Baptist, his conception, like seems to be the ending of the age of, I don't know, the age of the prophets. And we're going to enter into something radically, radically new, a whole different kind of prophet. Um, new twist. See, previously it had happened to couples. But this time it's happening to an, an unwed young woman. She doesn't have a husband, right? Through the power of God, not through the power of her husband. So Mary is betrothed. We learn that, but she's not married. It was kind of a year-long period where it's almost the same as being married, but you don't get to hang out with your husband at all, right? Because the husband's at dad's house building on the addition to the tent. I, I don't know what he's doing, but something along those lines. It also involves the Trinity. See, the other birth narratives, they acknowledge God, but in this one, we've got a Trinitarian formulation, right? We've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, and we've got the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is something radically different than it had gone on before. And again, most of the others have prayed for years and years and the social pain of barrenness, right, for a child. But this birth, totally unexpected, totally unplanned. And a lot of the other birth narratives, you, you recognize this, there follows a period of muteness, like they're unable to tell people of the goodness of God, right? They're like, you know, poor Zachariah's trying and, 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 he, and he can't do it, right? He's, he's, he's mute. But in this one, immediately, immediately afterwards, Mary's able to sing this beautiful song. You can see that in chapter one of Luke when you go home today. And then the passage continues with just kind of a really strange, really weird um, a comment on Mary's character. And it's odd because we're not given any information about her character. It says this, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord with you, is with you. And immediately Mary's like, she's troubled. She's like, what? is he talking to the person behind me? Like, I'm nobody. I'm, I am an, I'm literally nobody. I am nothing special. And it puzzles her. And again, scholars, theologians, we've been puzzled for a couple thousand years. What is it about Mary? And it's like we almost got to go back to all the other, again, all the Old Testament narratives where we don't know why God chose the second son instead of the first. He just, he just did. So I said, God does that. His, 
He just bestows grace on whoever he darn well pleases, and we are just thankful to receive that grace. It's never, it never seems to be about us, whether we deserved it or merited it. He just loves us, and he just gives stuff to weird people. It's the craziest thing. So Mary's greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you who have found favor with God. So twice she's found favor with God, but we have no idea why. I mean, she's a normal Jewish girl, right? Her name is kind of a derivative of Miriam, very, very Jewish name. So apparently she's a part of a very, very devout Jewish family, but apparently in that community, my guess is there's a whole bunch of devout Jewish kids running around, right? What makes Mary? We have no idea. We have no idea. She's living with her parents still, presumably, so I, I, the only conclusion that we can arrive at is that the writers aren't really concerned with that. That's God's prerogative to bless her in the way that she, he wants to bless her. But what the writers bring out is, is, I think, what they want us to look at. Stop worrying about what makes her so special. Start focusing on how she responds. And what we see in her response is an incredible level of faith, right? Faithfulness, just, un, just off the charts. The angel continues, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, you know, young girl, ancient Israel. Um, this, pretty, this had to be overwhelming, right? I mean, she's literally being told, you're going to give birth to God. Like, I don't even think she understands. I mean, I don't know, as a 15-year-old, I didn't understand anything. I, I was so clueless, and I, I don't know where she's at. But she asks the angel, says, well, how can this be? And I can almost see her whispering, I'm a virgin. <laughs> I thought you angels knew this. It's like biology, dude. I, well, I, explain. Now, what's interesting here, again, is it's not a question filled with doubt, right? There doesn't seem to be any doubt in, in Mary's mind. I mean, she's just curious. How could this happen Biologically, because I'm sure her mother had a talk with her. She's 15. I, I don't know. It's almost like the, the, the angel could have said, Hey, Mary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a spaceship and I'm going to fly you to the outer edges of the, the universe. And Mary's only response is, Well, where's the spaceship? And oh, by the way, what's a spaceship? Right? Well, what if we were like that? Right? What if God said, You know, I need you to do this, I need you to jump, and we simply ask, How high? Right? How are we going to do this? Right? How are you going to do it? And how am I going to do it? What part do I get to play? And what part are you going to play? And I'm very excited about this. This is like Mary. Just, I love it. I love it. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I love this right here. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail it's almost like the angel explains to her how it's going to happen never has to explain to her or convince her that it's going to happen he just tells her this is how it's going to happen a legitimate question for a young girl right and then he adds the angel adds this incredibly touching I'd never noticed it before this incredible touching scene here um it's like he gets down on a, on a knee and kind of gets eye to eye with her maybe, right? And says, now, I, I know you're, this is all bewildering to you, but I need you to know something. What God says will happen will happen. And in fact, your cousin Elizabeth, like she's really old, 
and she's been barren. Well, she's six months pregnant. And then that's really critical, critical what six months means. You all know this. Six months means you're showing. The baby's viable. A baby's going to be born, right? At six months, a lot, of the worry, a lot of the worries have gone by the wayside. And now you're preparing, not praying and hoping anymore, but you're preparing because you know that baby's going to come. And so the angel's telling Mary, I did the same thing in your cousin's life. I'm going to do the same thing in your life. What God says will happen will happen, and it's already happening right now. The miracle of your cousin, Elizabeth. And so she responds to this overwhelming message right from the angel. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. And then this last line, again, it just thought enters my head, and then the angel left her. It's like the angel's like looking at his sundial. I was like, wow, I thought that would take a lot longer, right? These, these earthlings, I, I got to forever convince them, but this Mary, she just said, yes, I guess I can, I can go home now. <laughs> my shift's over. That's all we have is he, he left her. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know, it just it struck me. So again, she doesn't seem to hesitate in her obedience, right? She responds in faithfulness to what the Lord asks. And her declaration of obedience doesn't end in silence, but again, she just sings this, this beautiful, magnificent, this, this beautiful song of praise to God. But here's the bigger story. And I'm going to say this very carefully. It's the bigger story in which Mary's story is only a part. The declaration that Mary is highly favored, that, that simply means that Mary's beloved. God loves Mary. God loves Mary. The declaration that she's highly favored, right? God loves Mary. And that God is with her. This is important, y'all. This is the part I need you to hear. Is it in, it's not solely for her, right? That message is actually to the rest of us as much as it is to Mary. Like God is speaking directly to us through her words, and we have to hear God's voice through her words. Don't put ourselves too much into her situation. We've got to remain in our situations. Whatever your situation is, that's the bigger story. Because the fact that she's highly favored and that God is with her isn't solely for her, it's for the entire world. Right? The miracle of Christmas is that God is with us. Right? Remember John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Right? This is that. This is the miracle of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Right? A baby boy is entering Mary's world. But the bigger picture of faithfulness and love is that God is entering our world. We focus so much on the baby entering the manger, the Christmas scenes. But the fact of the matter is, God's entering our world in this story because He loves us. And He desperately wants to be beside us. The miracle of Christmas is we haven't been forgotten. Regardless of our unfaithfulness to God, He is never endingly faithful. That's the miracle of Christmas. Unexpected love, right? He breaks into our world in such a radically bizarre way, like as a baby boy to a virgin girl. Here's what that means. That means that he, he, he can and he's willing to break into your world in, in, in crazy, crazy ways. I don't know how you're praying. That might be crazy. But this story tells me if your life is, is mundane or if your life is messy, God can do something crazy amazing in your life. You simply need to ask and expect. 
But absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial is that your, your closing prayer needs to be the same as Mary's, right? It can't be, thy will be changed. It's got to be, thy will be done. It's not what I want, it's what you want, Father. So as you pray and as you seek something crazy from God, just take what he gives you, right? And big smile, right? Open hands because he knows what you need far more than you think you know what you need. Possibly the greatest miracle of Christmas lies in the fact that God's forging a brand new definition of family. That's the big deal about Christmas. That's the miracle of Christmas, right? Back in the day, the children of Israel used to be based, right, solely on ancestral heritage. See, but Mary wasn't part of that. She didn't bear the sign because she was a woman, so she wasn't circumcised. Biologically speaking, she doesn't fit the bill because the Holy Spirit conceived her. God is doing something radically different than our biological families that we know of and experience here on earth. He is, he's up in the game. He's up in the level, right? We're leveling up. If you play video games, I don't, but I understand that's a phrase. Like he's leveling up the whole humanity, right? Our understanding of love. We've got these understandings of love, but he's like, no, no, no. I, I need to show you a whole different level of love. And I want you to experience a whole new level of I don't know. I don't want to just tell you about it. I want you to experience it. And then, crucial here, I want your friends to experience it too. That means you got to take it to them. It's not just for you. And now, the Holy Spirit is the key component to the new understanding of family. Right? God's love is for the entire world. And so, He weaves together a new family born of the Holy Spirit. And here's the kicker. This, this new thing has already begun the moment that the angel Gabriel announces the conception of Jesus because at that moment, Jesus, excuse me, at that moment, God begins to suffer for us. I don't know if you ever guys thought about it. This is Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right at that moment of conception, God entered our world within Mary, left his place in heaven with all the glory and all the advantages of that, and he came to this earth to be one of us, broken, messed up, tempted all over the place, desires withdrawn, put in front of us withdrawn, just just a, a messy, messy world. God decided, I love them so much that I, I will I will be a peacemaker. I will pay the price for peace. I won't just hope for peace. I won't just hope that they'll stop beating up on each other. I'm going to go in and show them how to love each other, not just stop hitting each other, stop throwing rocks at each other. At the moment that God began to suffer, he broke into our world. And why? Because he loved us. And he desires to have a relationship with us. And because he's faithful even when we're not faithful. God began something new so that he could do something new in you. Because the old way, it just, nobody was gaining any victory. He's like, I, I got to give them victory. And I can. Now, I'm going to say this very, very carefully. As we look at these birth narratives... There are a lot of people at home, maybe they're here in this room, they're, they're listening to my voice, and they've been praying 
for just such a miracle. And, I, and again, I say this as carefully as I can, as graciously as I can. These birth narratives, they're not about a miraculous birth of babies. Right? These, these birth narratives, they're all about presence of God, the nearness of God. Right? The story is just his vehicle. Jesus, John, these are vehicles for God to show us exactly what his love is and what it looks like. God became Emmanuel, God with us, to be present with us wherever we are. It's a message that sounds throughout the, the weeks of Advent, right? God with us is our bridge to hope. That we're not alone. God with us is our, our, our bridge to peace, right? It's that confidence that God is with us when we decide to step in where angels fear to tread because we're peacekeepers and, and we'll, we'll pay the price. God with us is our bridge to, to joy and the knowledge, right, that we're loved beyond compare. Again, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who God is and what Jesus has done. And the language he uses, like the, the love of family, right? It's the deepest love that we humans can know. And so he uses that as a foundation, and he's going to build something even greater, something even bigger, something even more amazing, right? No matter who you are or where you come from or where you are at this moment, you are loved by God, and you're invited to be a part of this family. If you're listening at home right now, you need to hear this. You need to maybe even repeat it to yourself, no matter where you're from or where you came from or who you are or where you are at this moment, you are loved by God and you're invited to be a part of this family. And the best part of all this is that we haven't even gotten to the best part yet. I know, it's like, what, Jerry? Oh, my goodness. The best part is we haven't even gotten to the best part yet. Listen, if you know somebody this morning, right, and that person doesn't know Jesus, I don't know, maybe they've lost their hope, right? Maybe peace is an illusion, smoke and mirrors, right? And, and joy has left the building. What I need you to do is I need you to picture this person right now in your mind's eye. Maybe this group of people, I just want you to picture them. Don't picture me, picture them. I'm okay. Picture them. They need to hear this, but they're not listening, right? I don't know where they are, but, but you're listening to my voice, which means that you're, gonna one, you're the one that's going to have to carry this message, right? God is with us. This is what they need to hear, we carry the promise of God's presence into the world to share with others the good news that they're also beloved of God. And as beloved of God, we're invited to bear Christ in the world in order to reveal the belovedness of others, just as Mary did. Now, we won't, obviously, we don't bear physically the Christ child, but we are called to bear Christ in the world. We're called to the same level of discipleship that Mary was called to. How high, God? How high? Where's the spaceship? What do you want me to do? We're called to bear Christ in the world to a people who might not realize that they're loved. Again, we all understand sorrow. We all understand pain. So we know what it feels like for somebody who's waiting. Waiting to hear that God loves them and wants to be with them. See, this new family that God instituted, right? This is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God coming to earth even as it's always been in heaven. The family. This new picture of family. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Right? That's the miracle. If you bow your heads, Father, thank you. 
Thank you again for having something that we need and, and giving it to us and then enabling us to give it to, to our friends and our loved ones. I don't know how you keep doing this, but you just pass on goodness to us, and, and then you equip us to pass on that goodness to people who, who desperately need goodness. They need God. So, Father, this Christmas season, may the miracle be that we bear you into our world, um, to a world that needs hope. They need joy. They need love. Father, they need you. Give us strength to be bearers of your son, Father. In your son's name I pray.